All right, welcome back, everyone. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's episode five, the inverse in Philly. I am your host, Wobby, Mike Wobshaw, joined as always by Giles, who is going to be able to participate this time around after he was forced to sit and listen only uh, during episode four when we were previewing the Eagles and talking about that exciting win over the Green Bay Packers. So Giles will join us momentarily coming up on the show today. What went wrong in Philly and NFC North preview? We'll take a glance around the National Football League, get some storylines, and then we'll preview the matchup the Vikings have with the Detroit Lions. My partner in doing all of this is Giles. We welcome him in right now. Hey, Giles, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, glad to be back. Sorry for missing the episode last week. Um, the Wi-Fi at the convention center I was staying at was much like the Chicago Bears. Very, very poor performance. We'll just say that. Okay, <laughs> we're glad right. to be well, back. We, we're glad that you are back uh, because I know that you were probably standing in some hallway in a convention center with spotty service, listening to it in choppy fashion, wanting to chime in. But you couldn't. So we uh, if you have any of those thoughts from the Green Bay in reserve, uh, feel free to sprinkle those in here as we're talking about the Vikings game against the Eagles, because I actually think it would be appropriate. I'm calling this the the inverse in Philly, because Giles, I really feel like what we saw on Monday night, Vikings, Eagles, what what we as as folks in Vikings nation felt is what Green Bay felt in week one where mm-hmm. it was it's it's a nice matchup between two quality teams that everyone believes will be in it to win it at the end. You're on the road. It's got a lot of eyes on it cuz mm-hmm. that week 1 game was the game of the week for Fox. This was Monday night. You're on the road, home opener for the other team and you sort of lay an egg. Mm-hmm. And and not only do you sort of lay an egg in the first half, but they're on fire. Mm-hmm. And then you make some adjustments probably at halftime and then things calm down mm-hmm. and not so much that you kind of felt like you got back on track and you played better, but you just stopped the bleeding. Yep. That's what green Bay did in Minnesota in week one, but that's what Minnesota did in Philly in yep. week two. And so I feel like I don't want to call it a regression to the mean for the Vikings, but I just, I feel like it's like, this is the NFL. It's a week to week league. Yeah, 100%. And when you look at this uh, both offensive and defensive scheme, when you compare it even to the Rams, it is by default designed to get an early lead and then keep it. Um, I wouldn't say it is impossible for us to come back after not having an early lead, but it is designed to try to get an early lead and then maintain. That's kind of the precipice behind it. Um, And we simply got on the wrong side of that. Now, with that being said, I think in this game from a totality standpoint, we not only lost the game, but Philly also won it. Um, I would say both teams held those positions. Um, Going into this year, I was not necessarily super high on Jalen Hurts, but I think he put up a performance that puts him into the MVP conversation. So um, not to say that we need to wash everything away, but I think that makes it easier to swallow saying it's not like we lost to, you know, the Texans or something like this is a quality team. They arguably have a a top five roster. Um, They have the best offensive line in football. They were really able to move things forward. So uh, I I 100% agree. Yeah, I think that's well stated, and we'll, we'll get into a few specifics of what went wrong, but the last thing I want to say from a 10,000-foot view on this game that you reminded me of as you were talking there is something that Mike Mayock would always say when he was on the NFL Network doing combine coverage. He would always say about the 40-yard dash, and these times would roll in, he'd say, fast guys run fast and slow guys run slow 
It's mm-hmm. only when the opposite happens that the 40 is worth talking about. If a slow guy runs a really fast time, like let's talk about that on air. If mm-hmm. a fast guy runs a slow time in the 40, that's something to talk about. Yep. You know, and this is this is nothing to talk about. The Vikings look great and won in week one, which mm-hmm. they should have. And yep. the Vikings came back to medium on the road in Philly in week two against the Eagles, a good team in their home opener. Probably expected that. I I think most people would have said Vikings one and one after two. And here they are one and one after two. They have a home game against the Detroit Lions. Um, Let's talk about what went wrong, though, in Philly quickly before we look at the Detroit Lions. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, right out of the gates, um, you mentioned Jalen Hurts. You're right. If Jalen Hurts plays like that 10, 11, 12 games out of 17, he's going to be in the MVP conversation. He just it looked easy for him, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, I, I saw a lot of similarities in week two for the Vikings defense to what we saw the last couple of years when all those mm-hmm. star players for the Vikings were hurt. I mean, it feels like Barr, Kendricks, uh, Michael Pierce, um, Patrick Peterson, even uh, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, those guys missed a ton of games, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just easy for the other team's offenses so many times. And that's what I saw with Hurts and the Eagles, 11 plays, 82 yards with four explosive plays on the opening drive. A 53-yard touchdown on the second drive, and then plays of 19, 16, 16, 9, and 26 yards on the third scoring drive. So just too easy. Chunk plays too easy, and then the awful field goal that the Vikings gave up right before halftime. I mean, just Mm -hmm. terrible. It was like a training camp practice for the Eagles offense going against the threes. Yeah. Um, And so to me, that the style and just how easy it looked was, was a bad omen for the Vikings early in the game. Yeah, hundred percent. And honestly, when you look at uh, the way that the Vikings entered the game, I think they came in with the approach that we are going to ex- we're going to stop explosive plays on defense. When you look at that um, through pretty much the entire game, less so in the second half, but through the entire game, they're playing too high safety to look, which is a press or that's a, a precedence in the entire. Um, uh, uh, defense that we're running. Uh, yeah. But I think they were running too high safety too deep. Um, when you look at where they were placed in the too high safety, they were very, very deep. So they were very yeah. clearly trying to stop explosive plays. The reason why I bring that up is I think they went into that game from a entire team perspective saying, we're going to stop explosive plays. We're going to give up some yardage to be clear. Like we're going to bend, but not break. And then we're going to have to score a lot of points on offense and we weren't able to do it on offense. So then that's why the entire yeah. construct fell apart because for the longest time, I'm like, you need to bring your safeties up. I'm not saying you don't have to play too high, but we're running really, really deep where every intermediate catch was uncontested. That's yeah. where they were able to move the, the ball down the field as Philly so far so well is they were uncontested because we were playing so deep and we simply weren't fast enough to get up there to stop those. And then when you're not able to put points on the bar uh, on the board offensively, yeah. the entire game plan goes to crap, right? Yep. Um, and obviously we had issues with catching. We made four trips down to the red zone in offense without any points taken away, which obviously when you do that, I mean, if you score on all those, very, 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 very different outcome, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a fun game if that happens, right? I mean, you got a, a high scoring primetime game. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. and the Eagles offense was doing its part to do that. The Vikings offense was not, which leads yep. me to the second thing that went wrong. We talked a little bit there about some style um, and the game flow, but from a substance standpoint, unfortunately for our guy, KC8, it was the whole primetime performance thing. And yep. I thought this game was just quintessential Kirk Cousins debate fodder because mm-hmm. his numbers were terrible. 
And mm-hmm. I think from a playing the position standpoint, you can look at his performance and say he should have changed some things. Mm-hmm. But you also had like the Irv Smith drop and maybe the play calling, forcing it to Jefferson a little too much, going yep. away from Dalvin. Like, so you yep. had like, there's plenty there for the Kirk Cousins defense team. There's plenty there for them to grab onto and say, it wasn't his fault, you know, but, yep. but it was just like, it's Cousins in primetime. Here we go again. So it was yep. just quintessential Kirk Cousins debate fodder. Yep, getting people to go back and forth on each other. Yeah. I completely agree because when you look at the plays that uh, everything went well, Kirk Cousins was not on his A game. I mean, takes. Uh, I mean, everyone would agree with that. Even Kirk yeah. Cousins uh, uh, stands, so to speak. Um, but I do think that's why the, you have to look at things from a three thousand foot view. Because although he was performing not great, I think it is also up to the coach to be able to figure out. Well, if he's not performing great, how do I get out of this? How do you make in game adjustments to figure out how to make it work? Because the thing is. Uh, I actually think this was both a quintessential game, but also a uh, a non-typical game for Kirk Cousins in the idea that he threw three touchdowns. That's basically never happened his entire career, except for three, like an Atlanta game. Three exactly. Yeah. yeah. And when you break each of those down, they all are a little bit something different. But if you start with the last one and move forward, the last one was really interesting from a play, uh, play call perspective, because typically, I mean, in a lot of offensive uh, play calls, you would put a hot route in there, especially when you have five guys in the backs on defense where they had a guy running hot, right? Or, you know, coming in for cousins and there wasn't a hot route to be able to check it down, which I know a lot of people speak negatively about check downs, but that play call did not have a check down, which in theory you could say is very, very aggressive. We're going to force the ball. And the check down in that specific play call was a fade to the back. And that is what he did. Now he didn't do it the greatest, but I think that's where as an offense, we need to decide, are we going to eliminate uh, checkdowns and increase his interception uh, possibility? We are going to accept that risk, but know that there could be an explosive play, but we're not going to settle for three, four yards. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how we tackle that moving forward. But the overarching uh, uh, lesson I take from this game is this is a learning curve because ultimately uh, Kevin O'Connell has said repeatedly that he wants Cousins to be more aggressive. He wants to play with a quiet mind. Well, um, you know, that there was a, a context when he said, Hey, I want you to throw that ball, even though that, uh, uh it might be uh, aggressive. Yeah. I think unless you provide ex- uh, severe context to that, I think there will be learning curves like this to say, are we being too aggressive now? Or are we need being not aggressive? Is this the context in which we should be aggressive? So I think hopefully they can walk away from this game saying, all right, you know, one of those picks, although it was picked, I still want to continue doing that because statistically that'll work well for us long, long yep. term. And then in this context, nope, let's not be aggressive there. Cause I think once again, Kirk Cousins is an operator. If you're told, if you tell him, Hey, here, don't be that aggressive, but then here, do it. Now he has more of a, uh, a game plan to say, Oh, I can do that. Right. Um, yep. I don't think he does it by natural, but if, if uh, Kevin can give him that play call, I think uh, things may get better. So, uh, and that that's a significant feeling out process that's going to have to happen there. And mm-hmm. you're right. Cousins is an operator and it is not in his nature to be the risk taker. And no. I, I, so I think there's going to be a struggle there. And mm-hmm. if the Vikings defense just plays better, I think that will mitigate the, um, I think that'll mitigate the the learning curve that will happen between Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins is gonna is gonna lead to a lack of production at times. But mm-hmm. I think if the defense is more sound, I, you know, then I think it'll mitigate those negative effects, and then it'll balance out midway through the season, and they'll be fine. Yep. But you can't play the way the Vikings played on defense in the first half 
and expect that you're going to win 10, 11 games. It's not yeah. going to happen. They got yeah. better in the second half, yeah. but the first half was not okay. Um, yeah. Even Darius, simply from a time of possession standpoint, you can't give up that yeah. much time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Darius Slay played great. You know, he, he's a really good player in this league. A lot of people respect him. And um, this was an instance where, you know, he he lived up to his hype and his reputation. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's an emotional I, I think he's fundamentally sound and I think he's um, a quality guy, but he's an emotional player. Um, and I think he's got a little risk reward to him as well, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and obviously it paid off for Philly in this game. And the last mm -hmm. thing I would say is just the exclusion of Dal of Dalvin, you know, was I, I, I try to be a little easy on this one Giles, because we don't know what the play calls were. We don't mm -hmm. know if Kirk checked out of him, if he checked into him, if he got yelled at for checking into him. So then he didn't check into him anymore. We don't know all that. You know, we don't mm -hmm. know. And we can go back and look at film and the all 22 and say, yeah, there's seven in the box. There's eight in the box or seven again. And that's why he wasn't, they weren't using Delvin. I don't know. But I, what I had was six carries for 17 yards and four catches for 19. Mm -hmm. I think if you told the opposing coordinator every week, hey, Dalvin's going to be in the game, but he's he's going to touch it 10 times only, they'd all be like, great. We'll yep. take our chances with that, right? Like, thank yep. you for not giving him the ball more. Yep. yep. So I think, I think the Vikings got to get better there. A hundred percent. You know, and, and, and that might be a – and to me, like, even though they were down a couple touchdowns, like, I still think you can run the ball and use Dalvin. <laughs> like, so I'm not going to accept the whole, like, well, we were down, so we couldn't run it. No, you, you weren't down by – enough where you couldn't run it anymore especially correct. with Dalvin. so correct um yep. so that's got to get better and i expect that will get better against the detroit lions um Agreed. speaking of the detroit lions uh they're in the nfc north so let's review what happened um in the nfc north all teams guiles one and one in the nfc north so we're knotted up headed into week three and um i don't think everyone is the same type of one and one though you know not at um, all so that's what's interesting about this. And I think that this is sort of a temperature check game for the Lions. I think mm -hmm. we can really debate about whether they're onto something or not based on what we saw in hard knocks, based on their first two games. And I think we'll learn a little bit here uh, about the Detroit Lions. Obviously, it's an important game for the Vikings as well, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's a temperature check as much as, as it is for the Lions. I think we'll learn about a lot about the Lions. Uh, Green Bay got right. Uh, they throttled Chicago. Uh, in yep. a get right game um, there at uh, at Lambeau Field, they won twenty seven to ten. Mm -hmm. To me, it could have been forty seven to ten. You know, I, I'm not going to say Green Bay took their foot off the gas, but that felt a little bit like a mercy rule to me, almost yeah. in the second half there. Um, I completely. I don't, agree. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts that you want to share there on on Bears or Packers off of that performance that we saw on Sunday night. No, honestly, I expected that outcome. Uh, I knew that both teams would perform that way. I thought Packers would get right and I thought Bears would perform yeah. exactly like they did. Now, I went into the season thinking that the Bears would be the worst team in football and get the number 1 overall draft pick. Now, having seen how the rest of the NFL performed, I don't know if I'm I'm as on that train as I was before. I don't think they're the worst team, but they're definitely going to be a top 5 pick. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And um and I don't I agree with you on that and I am not I I'm not saying that or agreeing with you because I think the leadership there is bad. I just think they have a rebuild going on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think it's a roster thing and you know, the guys aren't there that used to be there when they were tough Khalil Mack and Allen yeah. Robinson. Like it's just, uh, they, they, they got to grow. They got a long yeah. way to go and they got to grow. Yeah. Um, Lions get it done against Washington. 
They've had two high-scoring games, Giles, 36-27, 38-35. So I think this bodes well for the Vikings at home on Sunday trying to get back on track on offense. Mm -hmm. Um, The two guys that stand out for me, for them, are Aiden Hutchinson, who had three sacks and was sort of a standout and hard knocks, which is to be expected. He was their first-round pick. It's a great story. He's from the area, but I think he's a really good player. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Amon Ross St. Brown is on fire. 17 catches on 24 targets, 180 yards, three touchdowns. I mean... Um, so he's going to be, uh, um, he's, a he's going to be a, hand, a handful yep. for the Vikings on Sunday. Yep. And also, uh, being back by a top five offensive line. Now I'm not yeah. necessarily yeah. a huge fan of, of, uh, Goff. I think he is, he's not one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but it, with that being said, he's not the worst at that, in that way. He went to the Super Bowl with Sean McVay. So he obviously has some yeah. juice in him. He's not an idiot. Um, but I think if you, if you, uh, try to put any label on the entire Lions offense, you could make an argument at least two weeks in that they have the best rushing offense in football. Um, like they are really good, which I think will bring an interesting dilemma for the Minnesota Vikings, especially when you contrast that with last week uh, when we ran too high safety the entire game, which is the base of our defense. Don't get me wrong. They want to give very similar looks, uh, but I think you're maybe going to see us not playing so deep uh, because we don't necessarily have the greatest run defense right now. And I think we need to figure out a way to shore that up, especially against the best rushing offense thus far this season. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Um, All right. When we take a peek around the NFL, Giles, um, positives, Buffalo. Um, Wow. You know, I, I was laughing because I think in like the, I think it was episode three when we were previewing the Packers, we kind of glanced around and did an AFC preview. And I was like, Hey guys, are we sure Buffalo's really like everyone's just sort of sort of preseason anointing them like they're going to walk through what's a really tough conference? They kind of look like they're going to do they're going to do that. Um whoa. So that uh Buffalo Miami very cool game this week. I very am cool so game. excited for that. Yep. That's Might be the cool. highest scoring game all season. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be like that Chiefs Rams game was a few years ago on Monday Night Football, where they scored like honestly, I think they scored a hundred, like almost a hundred points. Um, yeah, fifty on both sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Buffalo. I just whoa, wow. Um, another positive in the league is Tua. Um, yeah, you know, very cool story. And I don't know if it's like because he's left-handed or if it was his hip injury, but I was a very much a wait and see guy on Tua. Yep. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it didn't work out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it's working out for him and the Dolphins. Six touchdowns against Baltimore last week, 370 passing yards per game. Yep. Obviously, Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddell are dominating. So those yep. are they're both in the same division and they play each other this week. But to me, those are the two like just hit you in the face uh, positive surprises. Yep. Um, the negative surprises, the 0-2 teams. I mean, Cincinnati, <laughs> uh, Indy, <laughs> Tennessee, and Vegas, all 0-2. And yeah. maybe if one or two of those were 0-2, I'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe. They're all 4 0-2, you know, yeah. and they're in trouble. Those teams yeah. are in trouble. And I believe Vegas plays – one of them, pl- they play each other. Um, two of those teams this play week. each other. Um, so one of those can be 0-3. Um, and so that's a problem uh, to be on. That's a hole that's hard to get out of. Yep. Um, uh, you know, the Cincinnati one um, is is probably the most troubling because they were obviously in the Super Bowl and they played the Cowboys without Dak and lost. I know it was on the road, but yep. they got to be pretty disappointed about that. Um, they play the Jets this week. Yeah, right. Uh, he, <laughs> the Indy being 0-2. 
pretty disappointing because it's two low quality teams, but they were both on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee, I can't be too hard on them. Uh, you know, the Giants maybe are better than everyone thinks, and yep. they play Buffalo, so they got beat by a better team. Yep. Vegas, um, I mean, the collapse that Vegas had against Arizona was embarrassing. I mean, they're up 20 to nothing in that game, and it was a game management issue for them. They just did not manage the game right. And so no. I, I think that's a concerning 0-2. But, um, yeah, some some 0-2 surprises, all four of those teams in the AFC and all four probably teams most people pick to make the playoffs. I don't know. I'd have to look this up, but has it ever happened in NFL history where a team has gone to the Super Bowl and then picked number one overall? Uh, next year <laughs> i don't think i can't imagine i don't think that. that'll happen but <laughs> i don't either but i think like dak is or uh burrow has been sacked a league high amount of times i don't know what the number is off the top of my head uh but it's too much yeah and they spent and a lot of money on their offensive 75, line this. 75 million guiles on the offensive <gasps> line in the offseason and and burrow is getting hit so yeah, um, that's a pretty disappointing aspect of their 0-2 start. So um, yeah. expecting a couple of those teams to bounce back, but expecting a couple of those teams to fall into a hole that they won't be able to get out of. Um, Tampa, New Orleans, I had a chance to watch this game and uh, basically every snap of it, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. It was a great game. It was low scoring. It was really physical. Two teams mm-hmm. that clearly don't like each other. Even if you take Lattimore and Evans out, which they get mm-hmm. in fights every time they play, so yep. they obviously hate each other. But even just those two guys, everyone else, like that, it's like, I mean, they don't like each other. These two teams. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's a rivalry. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I heard Sean Payton talking about it on a pregame show and at halftime on Fox, you know, and he's like, yep. I miss, I miss being there. I wish I was there, you know, um, in this mm-hmm. game. So yep. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that. You're, you're kind of a big Tom Brady guy as I am, but yep. I really enjoyed watching that game. Yeah, hundred percent. I always mark that, uh, those two games on the calendar every single year, because when you look at both of those teams who have had great last 10 years, late, great last decades, that game between uh, Bucks and Saints is always a statistical anomaly. Anomaly. They might be yeah. scoring a ton of points, but then when they get together, weird things happen. Where you're like, yeah. "Oh my gosh!" Like, what's going yeah. on? Um, so yeah, it's always fun to watch those teams go head to head. Yep. I thought there was some more awful game management last week, Giles. Um, we, we've seen this from Denver on clock management. They had the week one uh, debacle where they kicked a field goal. They had some clock management issues mm-hmm. um, last week that I didn't like. Cleveland, they won last night, so they get back on the right track, but they had, an, and my friend Kevin Stefanski, apologies to him, but an epic collapse against the Jets where they, they, I saw their win probability was like 99.7% or something yep. at one point in the game, you know, it was like under a minute ago. Uh, so yep. that was, that was terrible. Yep. Um, and then uh, we already mentioned the Vegas collapse. It's just, Giles, these coaches, they, they've forgotten more about football than we'll ever know Mm -hmm. you know and but these these game management things with timeouts and clocks and two-point conversions it just befuddles me how they can't how they screw some of them up yeah it'll be interesting to see uh if more and more teams adopt the sean McVay mentality where they get a game clock manager to stand right behind them during the game so they can focus on the three thousand foot view of the game and not get bogged down by some of those things because Clearly, they're just not good at multitasking, if we're being completely honest. Like, there's a lot going on, and they're forgetting about one of the most crucial aspects of games that honestly may lose more games than anything else beyond the quarterback. Yeah. So, I had an idea on this because it's interesting that you said that. You just said there's so much going on. There's a lot going on. And you're totally right. And 
I, uh, as I was explaining to you, uh, before we started recording, I went and saw our friend, uh, head coach, my former head coach, Mike Zimmer, um, this last week when I was in Kentucky for a work trip and had an extra day. So my fiance and I went down and we saw him and this came up, um, the, just the game management thing and sort of the, the decisions. And he said what you said, he said, you know, he's like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, cause there are some people who are critical of some of the things he did, uh, mm-hmm. some, you know, and he, he's like, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I'm like, so I was thinking about this as we're driving back to where we were staying in Louisville. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. There is a lot going on, especially if you're a play caller. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to give up play calling duties, yep. what if you gave up game management duties to the coordinator who, instead of him calling plays, you're calling plays. So let that coordinator manage the yep. game. Share responsibility. Yeah. You know, and it's a little sort of uh, counterintuitive to let someone else handle challenges, timeouts and big decisions like that. But if you're if you're not comfortable giving up play calling or giving up another significant task so that you can handle another important task the right way, I think Mm -hmm. you're doing yourself a disservice by not letting someone else who you trust on your staff do it. And I'm not talking about a consultant in the booth wearing a headset. It's mm-hmm. got to be. It's got to be someone with authority on the team. They own it. Yep, and who's not going to be afraid to be like, "No, we're doing this." Mm-hmm. I know Zim's over there talking to Barr and Kendricks about a, mugging the A gap on third and eleven next time, but we're yep. going for it here, or yep. but we're using our timeout here. Yep. So I wonder if a coach would ever consider that. Yeah. yeah, or even giving it to like an assistant head coach like Mike Pettin for the the Minnesota Vikings, someone that ha- yeah. has obviously been there, done that, has a tremendous amount of respect and authority for that matter in the organization um, to go take that on. Because I mean, I don't think the Vikings will necessarily have that ba- that of an issue because we I think we have it better figured out than yeah. uh, like the Raiders do at this moment. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I'm seeing, you know, be, I'm seeing teams who it's not a tale of two halves for some of these teams where it's like, Oh, we played great in the first half and had a big lead. And then in the whole second half, we played terrible and we lost. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you played great for 59 minutes and 40 seconds. And then mm-hmm. you screwed up in the last 30 seconds or 20 mm-hmm. seconds. That's a shame. You yeah. know, and, and there's simple things when they're isolated, they're more complex in, you know, the puzzle that is an NFL game, yep. but isolated, they are simple. Yep. And, I've used this analogy before and it sounds very silly, but I'm dead serious. The kids who grew up playing video games, playing Mm -hmm. Madden, they have their hands around some of these concepts as well as some of these coaches do Mm -hmm. timeout management, like when to take it before the two minute warning and when not to, as an example. Yep. Um, Like the probability of going for it on like when to go for it, go for two and when not to, I just, yep. Um, it shouldn't be this big of an issue and this many games shouldn't be lost because of it. But here we are with teams losing games because of very simple game management problems. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But at the end of the day, I'm okay with it. If that means uh, Vikings get a better position in the NFC. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And I've certainly seen that. So and no, no snafus in that regard for the Vikings coaching staff so far this year. So yeah, um, they've been managing their games pretty well, but they also haven't had a nail biter yet. So um, we'll see what happens. Um, Speaking of seeing what happens, let's talk about the Vikings-Lions game. Yeah. This has the potential to be a close game, I think. Um, the Vikings are favored by seven and a half. Mm-hmm. The game is at U.S. Bank Stadium, noon kickoff uh, on Fox. 
Yep. I th- I'm expecting points on the board here. Uh, the Minnesota mm-hmm. offense plays better at home. They're going against the Lions defense that's given up a lot of points. And I think there's going to be an emphasis on getting the ball to Dalvin, not mm-hmm. forcing it to Jefferson. And I think it's mm-hmm. going to create a more balanced and a more difficult to defend presentation for the Vikings offense. Mm-hmm. I'm not confident enough yet in the Vikings defense to say they're going to hold Detroit to, to you know, 13 or 17 years. So I think this game is of the over variety. I think it's going to be higher scoring. I expect the Vikings uh, to be on the right end of that. Um, With that being said, I think Detroit is licking their chops um, on offense because I think they think they can score. And Mm -hmm. I think Detroit's defensive line is very eager to play in this game. Yeah. Watching the Vikings offensive line last week and with the talent they have up front. So um that's sort of how i lay this thing out i'll hold on my prediction um for now but i'll let you sort of explain how you see the game unfolding from a stylistic standpoint yeah absolutely i do think uh we're gonna have a a, another coming out party for the minnesota vikings because i think i think uh, when you look at historical seasons whenever kirk has had a bad game he has always come back the next game and overperformed um and i think whether you think that is him or if it's the entire organization saying that was not good we need to go fix it He's always doubled down on the um, uh, on the on the over once he gets back to the next game. So I yeah. do expect a pretty phenomenal uh, game from Kirk. Um, and, and when I say expect, I think that's what's going to happen. And I also expect it from him. We need to fix that, right? Um, yeah. I also think uh, Kevin O'Connell is definitely of the variety that does not like losing. And I think. That was somewhat embarrassing last week for a variety of reasons, and I think he will not let that repeat again. So I think he's going to come to the table with a pretty awesome game plan. Now, I do agree with you. I think this will be a high-scoring game because I don't think we will make many changes on defense because we like to uh, lean into that illusion of complexity element, and that means running too high safety at the beginning of every play and then adapting from there, which... Works against a lot of high-flying offenses, but uh, the Lions, once again, have a very strong rushing attack, and I think that will be hard for us to defend. Um, We're definitely in the bottom half of the league right now. Maybe we can improve it, Um, but I think that will lend to a lot of points on the board. I think my prediction, uh, like 27-34 Vikings, I think it'll be a relatively high-scoring game. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm not far off from you. I had 31-21 Vikings, and I think... I don't think it'll be a nail biter at the end of the game though. Like mm-hmm. like 10 points is a double digit win, but there's a usually a point in time and a 10 point win where in the fourth quarter, you know, you you had to do something to ice it to to mm-hmm. win the game and I think that's what will happen for the Vikings. Yeah. And I think I think they'll, you know, I think it's going to be you know, 24, 21 or something like that. And then in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter they're, they're going to get a touchdown. So that's sort of what I anticipate happening. A, a 10 point win in a high scoring game. So from the gambling yeah. standpoint, it would be take the Vikings, lay the points and play the over, um, yep. you know, and granted that's a little bit of a square play. That's what fans want to see. They want to see a high scoring game and they want their team to win by a lot, but that's what I see happening here in this one. And yep. I see the Vikings advancing to two and one, and it sounds like you and I are sort of seeing the same thing here. So, um, yep. and if that is what happens, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about, uh, next week when we get to, uh, episode six of the Wobcast 2.0. So, I have emptied out my notebook, Giles. Um, is there anything that is left for you, particularly since you didn't get to chime in from week one? Um, anything we didn't cover here as we get ready for the Vikings-Lions game? Yeah. Um, well, you know me. I'm always a big advocate for the offensive line. I think uh, games are won and lost in the trenches oftentimes. And yeah. I think historically, the offensive line for Minnesota has been 
not necessarily the greatest. Now, I think we've definitely taken some steps forward to improve that. We've had some personnel, especially in Ed Ingram. I think he's playing better than a lot of our right guards for the last four or five years. Yeah. But with that being said, I think um, scheme during week one made our offensive line look very great. I think it made it look at, look better than it was, to be honest. Um, and I think that showed up in Philly, where I think our balance when it came to play calling um, hurt the offensive line, where we weren't, uh, we were being more predictable, and uh -huh. we got we got uh, trucked a bit, right? So I think yep. um, I think uh, the center position is still a position of need. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings made a change there, honestly, midseason, uh, because. I think if you switch that out, I think the rookie element of N. Ingram uh, becomes less severe because I think he's going to be a great player, to be very clear. I see some leading indicators there that project him to be a very strong guard uh, in the NFL, um, both on rush and pass. Uh, but he's still a rookie. He's making some mistakes because the th mistakes he made, I'm like, ah, like he'll learn out of that. Like He's he's only two weeks into the NFL, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I do see that being fixed, but if you can add someone a little bit more um, heavy in pass protection in the center position, I think those become easier on Ed Ingram. So um, all that to say, I think uh, if we can improve the offensive line, I think we'll uh, be a little bit uh, um, more inclined to go deep uh, come yeah. February, yeah. but uh, still a, a thing of uh, concern for me. Really good test coming up for this offensive line in the next two games with uh, Lions and Saints because um, mm -hmm. there's some talented players up on, on the defensive front for both of those two teams. So, um, you know, I, I said it's not so much a measuring stick game for the Vikings as a team here. It's more mm -hmm. so for the Lions, but it could mm -hmm. be a measuring stick game for the Vikings offensive line mm -hmm. um, for all the reasons that you just stated. Clearly the team's weakness over the last decade or, or 15 years. Without question, it's it's the thing we come back to the most other than not having the, the franchise quarterback, which you can argue Cousins is. So they kind of solve that. Um but yeah, offensive line has been something we've talked about uh, for a decade here in Minnesota. So good test yep. for them this week. I'm expecting them to pass the test enough, at least for the Vikings to win the game. So, yep. All right. Uh, any last thoughts there? Well, last thing, this is a little bit uh, speculation, but I know there's a lot of rumors about the Vikings signing Indomitian and Sue on the defensive line, uh, especially coming up against a division rival uh, that he used to play for. So there's a part of me that's checking my phone uh, every second to see if we get some breaking news here. But uh -huh. um, I think if the, the Vikings pull the trigger on signing Sue, I projected to be this week. I mean, hot take, but um, I mean, I prefer that they go spend that cap space on a center. But uh, if you're going to go sign someone, I think shoring up that defensive line from a run standpoint may be yeah. a helpful thing, especially because the Lions have a great run game. He came there or came from there. So um, we'll see. Might be a, an interesting element before uh, before Sunday. It could be. And he he, he may be uh, able to offer some uh, some insight into that team. But more so, I think he would be a great asset for the defense for the long haul. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, for, for them, I think he's got a little gas left in the tank and yep. I think he would have, uh, an attitude or a presence or a nastiness to him that mm -hmm. not every player has, like every yep. player tries to have that. Yep. And then they have like spurts of that, but and Dominican Sue's got it like all the time. Yep. So, and even if you're being completely logical here, and Sue came out, I believe, yesterday and said, "I'm ready to play. I'm ready to. I'm healthier than ever before, and I want to play for a contender." And I think last time it was projected, he was either going to sign with the Vikings or the Raiders. And if you simply look at our records and our performance on the field, the Vikings, in my opinion, from a non-purple glasses lens, would be the more logical option. So, knock on wood, maybe we got a shot of bringing Sue into Minnesota. Absolutely. They are the more logical option there. So we will keep an eye on that. And if it happens, it'll be something that we can talk about next week in episode six of the Wobcast 2.0, because for now, uh, we're done. Episode five, 
of the Wobcast 2.0 is over. Uh, be sure to find all of our episodes in the past and in the future, wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wobby. Hit me up there. Leave some comments or some questions so we can include them in future episodes. Download and subscribe. Please send your questions to our email address as well. The Real Wobcast at gmail.com. We'd love to incorporate your thoughts, your questions, and your opinions into the show. We missed Chase today. He'll be back next week. We got Giles back, so that was great. And we hope you guys enjoyed the show. Vikings-Lions on Sunday at noon from U.S. Bank Stadium. Vikings looking to get back on the right track. For Giles, for Chase, I'm Wabi signing off for now. Skull Vikings. <laughs>